Scripture comes from the book of Micah, chapter 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So the reading of God's word. Micah is a minor prophet. He's a minor prophet primarily because his book's really small. That's the kind of the defining thing of what makes a minor prophet uh, a prophet. Uh, and he is chastising the people of Israel because Israel is at this time doing all of the stuff they're supposed to do. All the churchy stuff. They're going to the temple. They're doing the sacrifices. They're doing the Sabbath. But in the end, they're making their faith all about rules and they are in fact forgetting about love of their neighbor. There's a lot of abuses going on. People in the community are not being treated with dignity and respect. Their neighboring nations are being pushed away. The the people in their midst are being mistreated. But they think they're fine. The people of Israel, well, we, we are holy. We go to church. We're the chosen people. And yet, they're just not taking care of those around them. And the minor prophets especially come in and call Israel to task to say, no, 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 no. If you're really God's people, then there's something about the world you should be caring for. And if you're not caring for it, then there is a problem. So Micah gives this big list, right? Would God be, uh, would God be happy if I sacrificed a, a year-old calf with a thousand rams, ten thousand rivers of oil? If I just kept giving God all the sacrifices, all the sacrifices, doing all the religious stuff, maybe even because I've sinned, if I I give God my firstborn, would that make it right? And and Micah's answer is no. God already owns all those bulls, all those calves, all that oil, all those rivers. It's all his anyway. God is not happy with us just going through the motions. What does the Lord require of us? That we would do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with our God. What does that mean? To do justice. Justice is a really tricky word. It's often in the Bible paired with the word righteousness. And and it's tricky because it's a little hard to define. The understanding is things are just, things are right, When they are acting in accordance with God who really is God. So if God is God and God is loving, then the world should look a certain way. And when it doesn't look that way, it's unright. It's unjust. It's a little hard to define because it's defined by God's character. But it is easier to define by what it's not. We can recognize injustice. Do you remember Goldilocks and the Three Bears? Remember? She goes in. And uh, this one's too hot. This bowl of porridge is too cold. But this one is just right. Remember the phrase? Just right. 
justice and righteousness. It's right. Could Goldilocks have gone in there and said, you know what? Describe to the cook. This is exactly how I want my porridge to be. This is the temperature I need my porridge at. No, she doesn't quite know, but when she has the father's porridge, she says, ah, that's too hot. That's too cold. That one's just right. And so sometimes justice really is defined by the opposite of what we see. When we see something is unjust, then we know what the justice would look like. Justice does not mean fairness. That term gets used an awful lot to mean just total equality. That's not what that term means. Does not mean revenge. You see, people go after justice. What they, what they mean is revenge, and that's not what this term means. Justice, to make things in the world as they should be if a good God really is out there. To love kindness. How many of you learned this verse as to love mercy? Right? It means translated either way, mercy or kindness. That's care or concern for another without any thought of return. Undeserved concern. You don't care because they deserve it. You just care. Listen, you're supposed to care about your spouse. You're supposed to care about your children. That's, that's just expected. When we start talking kindness and mercy, that's above and beyond. That's being kind to your spouse when they don't deserve it. That's being loving and merciful when you don't really like them in the moment. That's kindness that we personally sacrifice and even lose something at the expense of others. And walk humbly. To, to walk humbly doesn't mean to walk in false humility. They were talking about that a lot at this Christian Musician Summit we were at. False humility. Woe is me. I'm not that important. That's false humility. Real humility is, I may not be everything, but I am who God made me and God called me to be. I'm going to walk in that. I am going to do what God expected me to do. I may not be able to do everything, and I'm going to give God all the credit, but I am going to be faithful to what God puts me into. Being truly humble is being bold enough to do whatever God calls you to do, to walk with God. See, there's two aspects to God's work in our lives. I've got a prop to show you this. I think it's two sides of the same coin. I'm not going to forget this because I made a big point. Part of what we celebrate here on Sunday morning is what I would call the me gospel. Personal salvation. Okay? The me gospel. Listen to me. Hear me clearly this morning. God does not save generically. He saves you. He calls you by name. He knows exactly what you've done in your life and exactly what you're going to do in your life. And He loves you and gives you mercy in the middle of that. It is deeply personal. We live in a time where we don't like to be personal. We like to be private. But God is not private. God knows everything you've done and He cares about you right in the midst of that thing. There is a part of this salvation that is a me gospel. It's you. It is your personal salvation. And I hope at some point in your life, you made a commitment and really accepted this. And if you haven't, come talk to me. You really need to. You need to make this your own. When you get to heaven, God's not going to say, did you go to church? How was your tithing? What did you wear when you went to church? God doesn't care about any of that stuff. Have you made a, a personal, have you had a personal salvation experience? 
But there's another part of it. There's another side of this coin. The we gospel. Sometimes it gets, the term gets thrown around social justice. I have a lot of trouble with that term. Uh, but I'm going to explain that a little bit more. Um, but there's a social aspect. We, well, maybe what I should have put on the coin was the kingdom, right? Jesus not only calls individual people, Mary, Magdalene, and Lazarus, he calls those people by name, but he also talks about the kingdom. My kingdom is here. This world is going to be different because I'm here. And, and the Christian faith works really well when the coin is balanced, when it's both, when it's personal salvation and it's a kingdom mentality. But it gets really warped. The faith gets really warped, truncated to where it's not the Christian faith anymore if it's only one or the other. Okay? If all it is is personal salvation, which is amazing, right? It's amazing that God calls us personally to be with Him. But if that's all there is, then God's work for you becomes just simply a ticket to get you into heaven. And that means nothing to this world. You punch your ticket. I prayed my prayer. I'm going on. This, is, this has been the mentality. Some of you probably grew up in churches that were like this. Uh, it's just been the mentality. The unfortunate thing is somebody like Billy Graham who had those great, uh, uh, great crusades and really called people to Christ. But you know what he used to do? His team used to go in a year before any of those crusades and help strengthen the churches. So when you made a commitment at a Billy Graham festival... You know what you did? They gave your name to a church that contacted you the next week to follow up with you. Billy Graham understood the two sides of the coin. The whole bunch of people copied Billy Graham did not know the legwork that Billy Graham did to tie people into the church. Okay? They don't know about the side that his son Franklin Graham does with a ministry called Samaritan's Purse. We do Operation Christmas Child, right? All, that's, that is um, Billy Graham's son that does that that cares about the world, and not only sharing Christ, but also doing more. If you make Jesus just your Savior then, then He's not really your Lord. You can live however you want to if it's just a personal faith. Cares little about justice, you can just keep your blinders up. Go to church, hang out with Christian people, listen to Christian music, do things with the adjective Christian, but you're not in the end a noun as a Christian. You're not living it. You just did it one time. In the end, that kind of church, that kind of faith is not relational. Because what you end up doing is collecting souls. You collect commitment cards. And you don't really care about people. You don't really care about being in a relationship. Okay? It's the, it's the guys that yell in the street corner at cars that go by that they're sinners. I don't think that's ever worked. Ever. Because in the end, people aren't, aren't uh, people are prizes, they're not people. It's not relational, and it's a problem. It, it ends up being closed off to, my parents have been told, my dad, faithful Presbyterian minister for 40, 42 years now, has been told because he, wasn't, he was baptized as an infant and didn't go to a Baptist church that he's not really saved. <laughs> faithful Presbyterian minister, 42 years, but you're not saved because you didn't do it our way. That's problematic for me. That is what happens when the faith gets warped and it's only an individual faith. Everybody with me so far? Now the other way is a problem for me too. 
When we have a we gospel, when all we care about is what's going on in the world and finding justice, then it gets worked for me too. Now, a lot of missionaries talk about a very great phrase, I think, that hungry bellies have no ears. That if you're going to do missionary work and somebody's starving, you've got to help them. You've got to take care of them. But we have all kinds of missionaries and ministries now in our world that don't even talk about Jesus, that just want to feed people. And there's, there's a place for that. I'm not trying to say there's not a place for that. But as Christians, we are involved in more than feeding people's bodies. People are bodies and souls, and we treat them as both. That's why I, I, if there's a natural disaster, I give to a ministry like Samaritans first, because I know that they are going to take care of the need, and they're going to be sharing the gospel and being a witness in the middle of that. And I want both. It gets warped when it's all about the kingdom, because you probably know people that are like this, and you know what it ends up being? It ends up being a lot of political maneuvering. The faith becomes about getting your agenda politically activated so that people are made right. So, understand, that's, that's in the end atheistic. Like, God can't take care of the poor. God can't take care of those who are oppressed. So what I need to do is vote and get elected and get power so that I can make it happen. Well, we should be working to help it happen, but we, it, at an extreme, this ends up warping God out of the equation. Becomes political. And in the end, it becomes not relational. I know a lot of people that really care about social justice that are really going to talk about race and ethnicity and all kinds of those things, that don't care about their neighbor at all. It's like they care about the institutions that care about their neighbor, but they don't really care about their neighbor. It's an excuse to not actually care about people. It's in the end, same thing as the other side, it ends up being not relational. It becomes institutional. But the faith that we are called to is not like that. In either of these extremes, in the end, people aren't very kind, they're not very merciful, and they're not very humble. You get arrogant on both sides, and you don't care about other people. But, here's the beauty. If the coin is balanced, if we've got two sides of the faith, okay? So if I've got my me gospel, I've got my personal relationship with Jesus, and I care about his kingdom that is coming and I'm announcing that it's already here, then we can have a really vigorous faith. Then we can have a really vigorous church that cares about the world and goes out to do that, to, to take care. It gets really bad when we don't have both. But when we have both, this is how it's intended to be. And this is what Micah said. Micah's saying to the people of Israel, your gospel has maybe become a little bit too much of a weak me gospel. And you're not caring about people. But if you really had the me gospel, you would be caring about people. So there's a problem. One of the people I think really did get this was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And last fall, I was in Washington, D.C. and went to the monument. Anybody been to the Washington, or the Dr. King Memorial in Washington, D.C.? Okay, it's a newer one, so you haven't been in a couple of years. Uh, what amazed me was, if you read Dr. King, Dr. King was a pastor. He was a pastor. He, he, a lot of his stuff is sermons. Call them speeches, but you listen to him. He's preaching sermons, and he's preaching a lot of his minor prophets, by the way. But if you go to his monument, you will find no reference to his faith at all. Okay, he's, hold, he's in a suit, he's holding his speech, 
There's quotes from his speech. The only reference at all to any of that part of his life is there are these mountains and, and his, his uh, statues are carved out of them and there's water flowing down. And, and it's right out of a passage that he used to quote from Amos 5. But let justice roll down like waters and righteous, righteousness like ever-flowing streams. Right? Justice and righteousness. Dr. King's calling for this same thing. But I'm disappointed in the monument because you know what? His faith is what drove him there. If you look at Dr. King, Dr. King did not try to get elected. He didn't try to recruit a lot of political power. In fact, what he spent a lot of time when he was in jail, writing other pastors, calling them to, to, to do justice. Saying, no, 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 if your faith is important, we've got to do something about this now. He was both. He had a vigorous faith that drove him to do something about it. Church, that's where we should be. We should be both. And, I, and the dialogues that we have as Christians seem to be one or the other, and they're driving me crazy, and I think this is one of the biggest sources of division in the church today that nobody's talking about. We've got to get a me and a we gospel. We've got to care about justice, but we've also got to learn how to walk humbly. And if we can put those together, then we have a faith that can really change the world. And if we divide them, we've got a faith that's not going to do anything, has no power. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you that you save us personally, and I really, really thank you that your kingdom has come. Lord, I'm longing for that day when you return and you make things right, and the world is just. The wrongs are righted, and things work as they should with you as Lord. But until then, you put us here at this outpost at Westminster Church. You put us at our individual addresses and in our workplaces and with our friends to walk with you, but also to seek justice, to seek kindness with those around us. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.